And now on RTHK, it's time for Letter to Hong Kong with Civic Party Chairman Alan Leong. The following program is a personal view program. Dear Tom, in our recent telephone conversation, you told me you had been feeling distressed and depressed about what happened in Hong Kong in the year past. Who isn't feeling the same if he has a heart for Hong Kong? It is however no good just to mourn over Hong Kong's demise and despair. If you would allow me, I want to share with you some of my thoughts amidst the gloomy atmosphere. I find constant inspiration in the Czech Republic's first democratically elected president, Václav Havel, who published his thesis, The Power of the Powerless, in 1978, when the Czechs were still living under the authoritarian Czech communist regime. The phrase, living in truth, has since been associated with Havel and become his hallmark. Havel argued that all authoritarian regimes ruled by deceit and coercion. They controlled people by lying about what happened and coerced people into repeating those lies so that there was no room for independent thinking, let alone judgments. Havel advised the people of Czechoslovakia that they should insist on telling the truth as if everyone were the little child in Anderson's fable, The Emperor's New Clothes. With everybody being adamant about living in truth, dictators can no longer pull wool over people's eyes and continue to fool them with lies and coerce them into repeating those lies so that they become a virtual reality, making continuation of authoritarian rule possible. Hong Kongers who aspire to live in truth and refuse to be indoctrinated should meet often for mutual consolation and spiritual support. It is only by doing so we would not feel down and lonely as we endure the pitch darkness of night before we see the first ray of dawn. Like-minded people could meet at churches, coffee shops, bookstores, galleries, cultural events, restaurants, or Hong Kong-style tea houses. Establishments forming the Yellow Economic Circle are convenient and ready choices. I am sure there are and will be enough Hong Kongers who will persevere and keep the flame of hope alive and burning. We shall stand and continue to fight for the freedom, human rights and the rule of law promised to us and enshrined in the basic law. We shall do our utmost to preserve and sustain institutions that contributed to Hong Kong's success and the prosperity we enjoy today. We strive to do these not just for the good of Hong Kong, but we believe that by keeping the Hong Kong we knew would benefit the world. Hong Kong's success story of having evolved from a small, inconspicuous fishing village to becoming Asia's world city and an international financial centre, ranking only after New York and London, has been told many times. This legend is made possible by Hong Kong's uniqueness of being a Chinese city inhabited by predominantly ethnic Chinese, while at the same time harboring core values and practicing social institutions shared with liberal democracies of the world. Trust, repose in, and respect for Hong Kong are hard-earned through decades of our doing business with the free world and the professionalism exhibited in the course of such dealings. Hong Kong became a member of the WTO long before China did. America, UK, and the European Union 
are comfortable doing business with and in Hong Kong because they know the people here and are comfortable with the protection of their investments by the rule of law. Issues between the free world and the communist world were swept under the carpet. Those who believe communism is mankind's future can live peacefully with those who think communism is evil but permits economic progress to be made. Ideological differences between the free world and communist China were put aside in favor of peaceful coexistence and economic progress. Hong Kong was not required to take one of the two sides. By leaving Hong Kong to manage our own business and in our own unique ways, both sides stand to gain and a win-win situation has been obtained. In many ways, Hong Kong is not unlike West Berlin during the Cold War, in that it could act as a buffer between two sides with competing core values and ideologies. West Berlin had great symbolic significance during the Cold War as it was widely considered by Westerners an island of freedom. It was heavily subsidized by West Germany as a showcase of the West. In many ways, West Berlin functioned as the de facto 11th state of West Germany. It was depicted on maps published in the West as being a part of West Germany. Communist countries did not recognize West Berlin as part of West Germany and usually described it as a third German jurisdiction. To take another example, Switzerland was spared German invasion during World War II because of its functions which both Germany and the Allied forces would not want to see interfered with. West Berlin and Switzerland illustrated for us the useful existence of a buffer when two rivaling camps must coexist for some time before any final resolution is possible. Given the now global political and economic situations, I'm sure leaders of the free world on the one hand and China on the other will have the good sense of realizing that practically neither side could bring the present tug of war to a swift conclusion without itself paying an unaffordable hefty price. Since the days of Mao Zedong and Zhao Enlai, the Chinese Communist Party has adopted a long-term plan to take full advantage of Hong Kong so that China could use Hong Kong in ways to benefit developments at the national level. As for the free world, it is inevitable that given what happened during the two decades after China's accession to WTO and the COVID-19 pandemic, it is bound to adopt a more cautious and guarded approach in dealing with China. However, the way forward should be to do business at arm's length while ensuring treaty obligations are fulfilled and contract conditions met. That is very different from not doing business at all. It is in the news these few days that President Xi Jinping was writing to CEOs of American companies offering the mainland market and at the same time planning to send high-power delegation to visit Washington, D.C. to meet with China hands in the Biden administration. At the same time, China and the EU recently reached agreement in principle on investment. Closer to home, there are also rumors that the CPG liaison office in Hong Kong will have half of its personnel changed 
to offer new perspectives on the issues facing the territory. All these seem to bear witness to both sides taking a pragmatic approach to the ongoing competition. Given such a pragmatic approach, I am cautiously optimistic that Hong Kong does have a role to play, which role we had played so well before events in recent years. Given the wisdom and goodwill of all concerned, I am sure we can work something out. The last thing we want to see is for Hong Kong to be caught between two stools and become a victim of unintended scorched earth strategies adopted by both sides. Every leader who is worth his salt must know that one cannot fight against the future. In a competition between the past and the future, the future must win. It is not a question of whether, but when. You may think I am too simple and naive, but it is always useful to remind ourselves that we were children once, whose reaction to life's adversities are always direct and not burdened by overthinking or worries. Let us all be children again and react to the world around us by living every day with a hopeful heart, trusting in divine providence, and act with love for ourselves and others. There is a silver lining behind the darkest cloud. It might just be that we are seized at a low point of Hong Kong's historic cycle. Stay hopeful, and I'm sure we shall overcome. Let's hope that we can meet without the need to keep any social distance before too long. In the meantime, take care. Best wishes, Alan.